Welcome to the Business Benchmark Group podcast, where you'll learn how to think strategically about your business and discover that while business is not easy, it doesn't need to be hard. With over 20 years experience in turning stalling businesses into thriving enterprises, here is your host, Stefan Kazakis, the founder and CEO of Business Benchmark Group. Good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in Australia, and um, and welcome. Welcome to this evening's um, sharing with our business benchmark group and EmployShore. And, you know, the last five months have been an interesting journey, an interesting, um, unpredictable, and sometimes, I guess, very testing journey. And, and one of the key areas as it relates to business and, and, I guess, the business journey in normal times is the journey called HR, the journey called people, the journey called uh, team. But uh, no, no two ways about it through the COVID period and the last um, period in Australia and New Zealand since, I guess, um, late, um, late March. It's been a, uh, an even elevated and more testing, I guess, period. So it's really, uh, really exciting to have both Gwen and Malcolm from EmployShore uh, join us today, this evening, to share on, you know, the back to business. They're getting ready to go back to. So, you know, there's a very definitive pre-COVID period in our business. There is a very evolving and very testing, however, opportunistic period called during COVID. And then there's the post-COVID that we need to be, uh, I guess, giving ourselves some latitude and some, um, I guess, um, affordability to be thinking as leaders and as business owners and, 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 and also team members. Um, what does our life and or our existence and coexistence in our workplace need to look like as it relates to the, uh, the post-COVID, I guess, period? And post is not so much that COVID will be finished and it's over and we're back to normal because there is no normal. This is the normal and the better we get acquainted and or, I guess, um, um, relatable to that, the better we'll be in controlling the things that we can control. So, Without a further ado, I want to introduce our uh, our guests, our uh, our um, our formidable guests from EmployShore. Uh, Malcolm is a uh, is, is a regional sales manager across Victoria and New South Wales for EmployShore, and he has over ten years of HR experience with a wide range of industries and size. And his competence not only in the area of HR but also understanding at a very um, ground level. Um, business and its and its challenges as it relates to people and and the power that makes people and business move forward. So a formidable, um, um, I guess, authority as it relates to HR and understanding business. Gwen Espy is a, a HR business partner with EmployShore and has been um, in the in the HR space for over twenty years across small and medium and large business, with a particular focus in industrial relations and employment law. EmployShare as an organisation is one of the, the nations, if not probably the globe, the globe's leading, I guess, um, authority for HR. It has over 150 advisors and consultants across Australia and New Zealand. Um, EmployShare has over 25,000 25, um, clients across Australia and New Zealand. And I know that's a big number. It must make, I mean, it makes me feel how, how business benchmark grow uh, go if we were managing 20, 25,000 clients. And I know one thing's for sure. One thing's for sure. Whatever we're dealing with 150 clients would be done at a times 10 level if we were at 25,000. There is no two ways about it. The standard is a standard and EmployShore has a standard. 
Um, the presentation will take about 40 to 45 minutes. Please um, stick around. Uh, Malcolm has also organised a, uh, a prize and a gift um, at the end of this for everyone um, who wishes to participate. So please stay, stick around for that. Um, welcome, Malcolm and, and Gwen. Thank you for being here. And um, I know we, we did this about three, four months ago. And seriously, it feels like two years ago. And life is uh, certainly evolving and changing and moving in a certain direction. I, uh, from my experience as it relates to business and, and HR and the people and the team part, which is a big part. I mean, if you think about our banner here, you know, you know, is a dysfunctional team something you're frustrated with? I mean, it's one of the, the highest areas of um, unfulfilled dreams as it relates to businesses going all the way. So you guys are, are an awesome, I guess, um, business and authorities in the space of HR and employment. Um, what are you guys seeing in the marketplace right now before we get into, I guess, the nitty-gritty of our presentation? What are you seeing, Malcolm, as you visit up to 50, 60 businesses every week between you and your team? What are you seeing yeah. out in the marketplace? Yeah, thanks, Stefan. Look, um, just to give you an idea, you know, I manage probably 40 staff across Australia and um, they're out in the field dealing with um, small, medium businesses every day. Um, and then I have visibility of uh, probably the rest of the country in terms of what's happening in Queensland, WA and SA. Uh, and the, the, the biggest thing to think, like I've done this role now for seven years. I've, ne I've been at EmployShore for, for nearly seven years. And I sort of thought I had a handle on things, all right? I knew most answers to most things around HR, fair work, health and safety, et cetera. But then this COVID thing hit us. And it's just made things so much more complicated because you've got all your legislation in place from the government, but then you've been overlaid with COVID, COVID rules and stand down and JobKeeper, which is ATO legislation. And then you've been overlaid with, you know, business and Victorian government requirements as well. Um, so now I, I use a lot of experts like Gwen, et cetera, in these meetings now because things are changing at such a rapid pace. Um, but look, some key things um, really that we're, we're finding that are challenging for business owners at the moment. Of course, there's the uncertainty about what's going to happen with JobKeeper 2.0, okay? What's going to happen currently in Victoria at the moment, you know, come the 15th of September? What's that going to look like, of, of course? But from a more people perspective, there's some technical things around, you know, business is wanting reduce, to reduce people's hours, right? But without knowing or how to, or whether they need to change things like contracts and what documentation to use. Right, that's important. Um, that, that, because that cuts off things like future litigation and issues in the future. Um, when you can stand down employees, you know, if you're on JobKeeper as a business, it's a lot easier to do that because you just need to give effectively one day's notice in the letter. There are, you know, a number of businesses that aren't on JobKeeper and we're talking, you know, a number of businesses perhaps not in Victoria. So you give an example like a medical centre that can still open. Just because they've had a slowdown in patients coming in to, you know, the practice and they haven't been ordered to stop work, you know, by the government may mean that they can't stand down people. So there's these sort of more complexities involved in it. Um, you know, reducing pay of, of people, either permanently or temporary, the process to go through that, how to document, consult, 
and what happens if people like your employees don't want that to happen? What are the repercussions and, and what then are your options? Now, these are sorts of things we're coming across. Of course, there's a lot of people working from home. I know Gwen's going to touch about, you know, managing people when they're working from home, but, you know, there, there are a lot of instances where some employers are finding that their um, employees aren't as accountable now because they're hard to manage and find out exactly what they're doing, right? And they're putting in hours and timesheets and things when perhaps they wouldn't get the return if these people were actually physically in an environment being supervised and seeing the deliverable. So, and we're yeah. certainly finding that is a, um, a cause of, let's say, discomfort. And it's not even the trust thing. It's like, you know, people's familiarity of just walking past their team during the day, mm -hmm. had them having a sixth sense, whatever that was, that yeah. ensured that they, um, well, at least they were there, they were present. So that whole reshuffle and little readjustment, which is really, uh, it is one of the interesting um, adaptable, I guess, um, challenges as it relates to working from home, working from the office and or the business environment. So that's going to be um, interesting to hear how, how Gwen expands on that in a couple of moments. So really looking forward to that. Thank you, Malcolm. I mean, yes, um, you know, you probably see things from a very different way because it's very HR specific, but it's business. We see it holistically and HR is a part of the business. So um, there's definitely um, plenty of challenges and, and um, you know, there's, there's more challenges to come, in my opinion. Yeah, as we move out of stimulus territory into normal economy, let's say now March onwards, you know, the, the, the Tenancy Act is creating some massive stress in various areas too, which is a different conversation. But all these things, I mean, the banks are now asking for business loans that were deferred now to start rolling out. So the pressure, not only in the HR, but all these other little bits and pieces that have been a snowball of COVID are starting to come to moments of truth. And my suspicion, actually I'll go as far as saying my expectation in the next 90 days, anywhere in Australia and, and parts of New Zealand, because we're starting to see some ripples there too, there's going to be some massive tension at a level that's going to have people behaving in crazy ways. So, Gwen, before I get too excited about craziness and uh, issues that might have people toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I'm going to pass over to you because you have an, am an amazing job this, uh, this evening and I look forward to hearing um, all the updates. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stefan and Malcolm. Uh, afternoon or evening, everyone. It's evening here in uh, Launceston where I am and he's with rain so I hope that's not impacting my um, uh, connection with you all. Um, I'm going to share my screen with you. I'd love to run through this some presentation with you. Just bear with me for one second. Let's make sure that that's working. And of course it, there we go. Um, I'll just get a thumbs up from someone. Malcolm, you, you, that all good? Beautiful. Yeah, that's working Gwen, perfect. Yeah, Malcolm, you and I will uh, switch off our video. It's over to Gwen. There's a few things we want to talk through um, this evening as a way of trying to um, uh, give you some support and some ideas and some, um, uh, some planning for some of the additional challenges that as business owners, uh, employers that you're facing uh, through this uh, COVID um, crisis. Uh, and I don't know if it's crisis anymore, but um, the, uh, you know, the, the current circumstances that we find ourselves in. So three broad topics. 
what you need to know for the new financial year. Now, obviously, we're a little bit into that year uh, already, and that comes with it all sorts of challenges in any normal year. But I think, as, as Stefan said, it's uh, this year, I don't know about anyone else, but it feels like we've been, it's been going for about seven and a half years so far, and we're only three quarters of the way through. Um, we want to then talk about hygiene and safety specific to COVID. And for those of you who may be watching um, or joined from Victoria, that may give you some really uh, valuable information as you uh, prepare to, to come back, uh, you know, post September the 15th, uh, hoping that, you know, all the, most of the restrictions are lifted and you can start to go back into your businesses again. Um, and then number three around engaging employees. Again, in this climate that we're, that we're in, many of you will have employees working from home as um, we've already flagged. And that comes with uh, its own challenges uh, in terms of not only just supervising and, and productivity, but how does your employee actually connect with your business when they may not have ever seen another uh, employee from your business face to face? Uh, it's all over Zoom or, or similar kinds of um, platforms. So let's have a look. I'm going to press the right enter button. There we go. There's Sniffly Steve, as I like to call him. Um, so let's have a, a talk about, first of all, the minimum wage update. Uh, many of us, uh, and I'm sure you were the same, were hoping uh, and pre the 1st of July that the Fair Work Commission would hold off from any minimum uh, wage update. Uh, they have that option uh, in uh, extraordinary circumstances to be able to do that. And we were really hoping that they would freeze it even to uh, not even change until the next year in the 1st of July, or at least hold off perhaps until December or something similar. Of course, the ACTU uh, were on a completely different page and they were seeking a 4% increase across the board, regardless of the industry um, uh, or uh, business. So, what the Commission did was something uh, I'm not sure many people predicted, uh, and it was arguably a, a good uh, um, uh, idea and, and somewhat of a um, bit, of, bit of everything. Uh, nowhere near the 4% increase, thankfully. Uh, so the national minimum wage was increased by 1.75% uh, or 35 cents per hour. So we now have a, a national minimum wage of $19.84 per hour for an adult. Um, so generally, uh, if you're 21 or over, or under some awards, there's no junior rate. So that would be the rate for anyone under that award, minimum rate, for example. However, what they did was stage those increases um, across three separate uh, industry award groups um, that they identified as group one, group two, and group three. Uh, now, I, I guess ostensibly what they've said in each of those groups is looking at how impacted with those particular industries or have those particular industries been impacted by COVID. So the first group, or group one awards, had to pass on that 1.75% uh, pay rise on the 1st of July or the first pay period, uh, full pay period after. So they included frontline healthcare uh, and social assistance workers, teachers and childcare workers, um, and some other essential services um, as, uh, as identified by um, the Fair Work Commission. The next group don't have to pass that increase on until the 1st of November or the first full pay period after, and they were called Group 2. Uh, construction, manufacturing, 
manufacturing and a range of other industries uh, a lot of that same ilk. So the idea being not quite as affected um, what, what's happening um, with Victorian uh, construction and manufacturing um, industries. And then the third group um, arguably have been most impacted by COVID and they don't have to pass the increase on until the 1st of February or the first full pay period after, um, which are the group three awards. And I don't think there's any surprises here. Uh, accommodation and food services, arts and recreation services, aviation retail trade, um, which I used to frequent quite a bit uh, in airports um, and tourism. So they don't have to pass the increase on uh, until the 1st of February uh, at, at this point. So somewhat of a, uh, of a mixed bag uh, of how they made those decisions um, in, in respect to the uh, award increases. Of course, regardless of which one of those you fall into, if your employees are already getting paid above the award rate that, that, that is um, uh, attached to their particular position, you don't have to pass that, award, that rate on, that increase on at all. Uh, if, if you need to hold that back in order to protect your cash reserves or your cash flow, as long as they're getting whatever the new minimum is for their role, you're, um, you're doing everything you have to do from um, a waging um, perspective. The other big thing that we did not need in 2020 was a, was a, a court decision with regard to engaging casuals. So uh, there was a decision that came down from... Uh, the um, federal courts uh, in late May, uh, WorkPAC versus Rosato. And what that did was uh, send a very clear shot across, across the bow of employers who have casuals engaged in their businesses. Um, and it defined what a casual, well, I guess when a casual is not a casual um, by this decision. So what it, what it has said is that any casual employee who uh, has an advanced commitment of work on a fairly stable, regular and predictable basis for an indefinite length of time uh, is for all other intents and purposes a permanent employee. So what that means is they could then therefore be accessed or request to access or go to fair work and lodge a claim to access uh, entitlements like annual leave, personal leave, um, paid compassionate leave, being paid for public holidays when they're not required to work uh, and so forth. Uh, so of course that opens up all sorts of questions uh, and some of you may uh, have already been um, struggling with this and trying to decide if this is an issue for your business. Uh, so a couple of things, first of all, nothing has been legislated with respect to this uh, decision as yet. Uh, and the government suggested when the decision first came out that they would not legislate uh, based on the decision. Uh, but that remains to be seen, of course. Um, and uh, however, a couple of issues. What is regular and systematic? Uh, and what would be lovely is if the Fair Work Act actually defined that for us, but if it doesn't. Uh, but uh, EmployShore has always um, advised the, on this in the same way, post pre-decision and post-decision, and we still do. And that is if you've got a casual employee who can fairly predict that they are going to work next week and the week after and the week after that and they can't foresee that there'll be very many reasons why they're not going to get regular hours they're probably regular and systematic uh, if you've got a roster that you post either electronically or up on a board somewhere uh, you know or what have you and you've got your casuals plotted into that roster they are probably regular and systematic uh, 
Of course, the other question is, well, aren't I already paying them 25% loading to compensate for the, the lack of annual leave and sick leave and so forth? Uh, now, the answer is yes, you are, uh, uh, presumably, um, and which is why we're, we, you know, in some respects calling this double dipping uh, because we're paying 25%, but then the employees also have the option to go to fair work uh, if they wish to or even come to you and say, hey, I want my annual leave. I've been here four years as a casual. I don't believe I'm casual. I want my annual leave and my sick leave. So there's a few things that uh, I would strongly recommend um, if you've got casual employees. First, the first thing, if, you've, if it's at all possible, make sure that they are what we would call genuine casuals or real casuals. Um, that is, they don't have any predictability of work. Uh, they may work next week, maybe they won't, um, but very much just on, an, on a calling basis. Where that's not possible, and I'm, you know, I've had thousands of clients that I've dealt with where it's just not possible, it's just a part of their, you know, being flexing up and flexing down their workforce as needed, um, you know, with seasonal requirements and so forth. Make sure you've got two things in place. Number one, a very clear contract that says that they are a casual employee and that they're receiving a 25% loading uh, to compensate for the lack of annual leave, sick leave and so forth. Make it very, very clear. And then on the pay slip, uh, also have the fact that they're a casual, um, very clear on there, and break their pay, uh, their hourly rate, or however you might, might put it, into the two figures, what the base is and then what the loading is. Uh, so it's very clear that they are very much getting that compensation already um, as the casuals. Oh, JobKeeper 2.0. So um, we uh, obviously have heard from the government um, that they are going to extend JobKeeper from, so originally it was due to end on March, uh, March September the 27th, uh, and the government have announced they're going to now extend that through to uh, March the 28th of next year. Uh, now, as we speak, that has been introduced to Parliament. Uh, I'm, I know it was actually going... Uh, I understand it was going for debate today. I don't know if any, uh, hadn't seen any news of it being passed um, immediately before coming on tonight. So exactly what it looks like is still uh, up in the air. Um, and I know Ed Mallard, our Managing Director at Employee Shore, uh, he's live on Facebook uh, every Friday at 12 o'clock and he spoke about this last week and said, you know, until we know certainties, um, it's best to plan as a business as if you're not going to get it because then at least if you get it uh, and, and uh, you know, it still remains in place, it's kind of like an added bonus. Um, so, however, there's going to be some differences in how they um, uh, or how you as a business are, um, are eligible. So some businesses who are currently receiving JobKeeper may no longer be eligible and conversely, some who haven't been may now be. Um, so uh, you've got to be able to show a downturn in the September quarter to remain eligible for payments um, from October to December and then again in December uh, from, the, from that previous quarter to be able to, to then receive from January until March. Uh, so the requirements at this stage, again, this hasn't um, gone through uh, um, Parliament and been legislated. So large businesses um, with a turnover of um, uh, plus one billion it's a downturn of 50%. Small businesses, a downturn of 30%. And charities and non-profits, a downturn of 15%. Uh, and uh, the in, 
for eligible employees. So previously you would remember for a full-time and part-time employee, permanent employee, uh, they had to have been employed on the 1st of March. That's now been um, adjusted to the 1st of July. Um, so that allows um, you know, any employees who came on board between March and July to potentially uh, now be uh, able to meet the criteria to get JobKeeper 2.0. But as I say, still very much up in the air until we get some certainty from um, legislation. Now, hygiene and safety. Um, I don't know about you, my hands have aged. I'm gonna go 35 years in the last five months from all the hand washing and the, uh, the sanitizer that, that they've been on, um, put through. But it's obviously an absolutely critical component of our, um, our workplace safety plans um, and work health safety. So particularly uh, for those of you in Victoria who right now you're not in the workplace uh, or you've got some very, very strong restrictions if you are able to be in your workplaces, these maybe have some particular assistance for you. So obviously as restrictions are lifted and you're able to return to your workplaces and, and your businesses, it's not going to simply be um, as it was the first time a matter of, you know, switching the lights on and going um, back to work or does look like. Um, there are some very specific obligations from work health safety perspective and different states have got different uh, requirements. So I'd very much encourage you to have a look on your WorkSafe or Safe Work site to look at your specific state requirements as well, um, uh, if there are any. Uh, so different states have different requirements, for example, on how many people you can have in a, you know, a certain um, uh, space. Uh, that it'd be great if there was a national one, but it's actually state by state. Um, so some thoughts that we're going to have a look at is, I can't afford to spend money modifying my workplace. What other options do I have? You know, you've, you'll see around particularly a lot of retail um, spaces. And you know, I confess, I was watching The Masked Singer the other night and even between the judges they've got the big plastic panels um, up but that's that's obviously obviously all costs um, my employees refusing to return to work what do I do I want to spend a little bit of time on this uh, in my role for employee store I've supported quite a few of our clients through that very issue um, and of course Worst case, what if an employee or another person in the workplace is actually diagnosed with COVID um, you know what what do we do so first up, you need to do a risk assessment. You'll be all very familiar with these in terms of a work health safety uh, processes that you would normally go through. So before you open your workplace and get your, your people back in, you need to make sure that it's safe from a COVID perspective. Um, so you need to do a risk assessment, identifying any risks that are current in the workplace that may mean that either COVID is present already, um, or uh, if it was to become present, um, the likelihood that it would be transmitted and the seriousness of those consequences if it was transmitted. And that will differ from business to business and industry to industry. Of course, if you've got particularly vulnerable employees uh, in terms of age or health, that's going to have a more serious consequence. Or, for example, if you're in the disability sector where you're supporting uh, people with very uh, you know, significant health and dis uh, issues and disabilities, that may have more serious consequences. So, so we've got, we got a question here um, yeah. from, from Sam. He, he's asking, in a small business uh, where, you know, it's a little, it's, it's, I'm not sure what the business is, but in a small business, how do we go about, you know, the safety assessment, the risk assessment? 
how do we go about that? Um, I mean, what is common sense and what is not common sense, which you know, just the reference of common sense would mean it's uncommon. So yes, what is indeed. common sense as it relates to safety and checks that would, um, you know, good innocent employers or people who are responsible for environments are doing their best to do the right thing. How do we go about that mm. for businesses that are, um, whether in Victoria on you know, 15th of September onwards or other parts of Australia, how do we go about doing that? The, a really great place to start is uh, your safe work or work safe. They, they, they differ from state to state. They'll give you a checklist of some of the things to go through. You can also actually jump on EmployShore's website. We also have um, some uh, documents and some checklists for you to run through. So there'll be things like, uh, you know, how many people, you know, do I have in the space? Can I have in the space? Uh, are people entering my workplace uh, from areas that I may not have control over those particular people? Um, how do I either stop that or control that? Um, how, what sort of processes do I have uh, to track who is coming into the workplace? You know, should something occur, uh, for example? Um, and some of the measures that you would put in place, if I jump over to the next screen, um, are quite simple, but really, you know, we're obviously proving that they are very, very effective. Um, and the first of those is obviously hand sanitizer and good soap, um, hand soap uh, to wash hands in. Who knew that for our, all our lives we weren't washing our hands correctly, um, unless we were doctors or surgeons, they probably knew. Um, so have, it, it, you do have an obligation from a work health safety perspective to provide hand sanitizer in your workplace and good um, antibacterial hand wash uh, or soap, uh, you know, in your bathrooms or kitchens, anywhere where people may be washing their hands. Uh, and you might have your hand sanitizer in, uh, uh, you know, lo various locations. Uh, you know, those of you who've been shopping, um, you know, pre-lockdown, obviously in Melbourne, but, you know, elsewhere in the country, you go into one shop, you put hand sanitizer on, you walk out, you go into the next shop, you put hand sanitizer on. Um, and uh, so you definitely need to have that, you know, reception and various locations around, perhaps on each desk space and so forth. Um, whether you need to provide other levels of, of PPE or personal protective equipment, will very much depend on A, the state you live in uh, and their current requirements and then your industry. So for example, uh, you know, we're all acutely aware in Victoria at the moment, you must wear a face mask the minute you step outside uh, your home. Um, and so if you've got employees who are able to come to work still, you would must be providing them a face mask, uh, even if that means that they're swapping out uh, their own uh, to come to work, put that one on, and replace and, and, and return home at the end of the day. Whether there are additional things like eye shields, gloves, um, you know, the full sort of um, uh, gown will depend on your workplace. Uh, from what I understand in Victoria, from my reading, uh, even meat processing plants, they're, they're, they're doing the full gown up at the moment yeah. um, to, to work. Uh, so it will very much depend on your industry. New South Wales, I. Don't believe, please correct me if I'm wrong, that they've mandated the mask, face mask, but they're strongly urging uh, that people do wear it. So um, if you've got employees who are requesting it in your workplace and you're in other states where maps is not mandated, I, I, I'd recommend providing it to them uh, where, where that's, you know, not too cost inhibitive um, for you. Yeah, and no, I agree with that, Gwen. I think um, erring on the side of caution, erring on the side of... Uh 
you know, mentally but also physically keeping people safe because that, yes. that if someone's requesting it, don't, you know, it's not something you want to reject. Yeah, not in, absolutely. Not in this environment, in, in, in the world that we're living in right now. We do have a question here from uh, Benish. Now, I'm not sure where he's coming from. However, I'll, I'll ask the question, Gwen, if you can help me. Uh, mm. Contractors working on ABN are also considered as casual employees. I'm not sure if that's a statement or it's a question. However, trainers and assessor working as casual on ABN will be eligible for permanent employment or annual sick leave after one year of service. I'm not sure if there's a question there, an example or a statement, but are you able to confirm a contractor's working on ABN also considered as casual employees? Does that make um, sense for you? Yeah, I, if I understand the correct question, um, oh, please um, jump in if I get it incorrect. Um, Benish, was it? Um, yeah. If they are independent contractors or subcontractors, um, there are still risks of uh, what we call um, sham contracting. So a different issue to the, um, uh, the issue of, uh, um, of, of casuals, uh, but Fair Work still look at those, them as an issue around sham contracting. Uh, and if Fair Work assess that in fact that person is really an employee, not a contractor, they would call them that, sh that sham contracting and then they may then award against the business and require that that employee receive all of those entitlements. Uh, I would always recommend have a very close look at your um, contractors, uh, particularly if you are the only business that they work for, there's a high risk of sham contracting. But it is a very complex area and lots of different factors are um, considered. Uh, in and I agree, Gwen, if, um, if you're a subcontractor who's definitely putting in more than 85, 90% of your income is derived from one, I guess, um, you know, I guess, job provider or, yes. or, or person you work with, that there's something about that that's not right. And you either make a decision exactly. whether you want to be an employee on that person's team or they need to make a decision whether you are an employee on their team and, and avoid trying to beat the traffic called superannuation, annual leave and sick leave. Because in fairness, we're just talking about percentages in the dollar that you're trying to save, but you're actually creating a big hole in your business. Most decent yes. businesses don't need to do that to be in business. Yeah. It's typically uneducated or, or um, businesses that don't have a plan that go about their business in, in these sort of schemes. So um, Nicola asks, when is the right time for my team to come back to the office? Can I decide as an employer? Uh, when is it the right time? Is that the question? Um, yeah. Yes, you can, Pro providing, you know, there's no restrictions uh, in terms of, uh, you know, government mandate. Uh, you need to be uh, both comfortable and certain that, A, it's safe for them to return, but also I think it's a little bit on the next slide. Let me just jump. Um, oh, perfect. No, you I'm are fine. so... <laughs> this is good. So any question coming um, in, it's the next slide. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, or... Uh, so whether it's safe, but also you'll need to consider, well, do I actually have enough work for them to do to come back? So well, yeah, and, and then what happens if an employee does not want to return? I mean, we have clients right now, Gwen, that, um, you know, yeah. for whatever is the motivation or the, the reality, yeah, I don't want to go back to the working place. I'm not coming back to the, you know, the restaurants or the, even, even though it's only yeah. doing takeaway now. I don't want to come back yeah. to the retail store because it's, 
you know, the safety methods are not right. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Let me what do you do, what do, you do as an employer if the employee, and yes. in all fairness, you know, they, they, they certainly have a story there, don't want yeah. to come back? So there's a couple of things. First of all, you know, obviously you'll be talking uh, with your employee if they have a legitimate reason why they don't want to come back, so perhaps they have an underlying medical issue themselves that would make them particularly vulnerable, or perhaps they have someone in very close um, contact in their world, so someone they live with generally or care for, who is particularly vulnerable. If that's the case, you would invite them to get medical evidence um, to provide to you, uh, in which case then you may, uh, in consultation with them, uh, you know, discuss other options. Can they work from home? Is it the kind of job they can? or oh, we'll continue to work from home. If they can't, then they may need to take a period of leave, um, whether it's annual leave or uh, long service leave or unpaid leave, depending on what um, options are available uh, to them. If those two things don't exist, if it's not about health, if it's just about um, you know that uh, uh, either a fear or dare I say, because I have dealt with some of these for our clients, they're just quite enjoying the job set, job keeper holiday and the Netflix marathons during the day. Um, if that's the reason why they're not returning to work, you've got a couple of options. If they're casuals and you're getting job keeper for them, you have said to the tax office that this person is a regular and systematic casual. Now, if they are refusing shifts now, uh, you can provide for them. I would argue they are no longer regular and systematic, and you could be making that call to the tax office and saying, you know, this person is no longer eligible for um, JobKeeper. You might want to give your employee fair warning to give them an option of making that last-minute decision to do the right thing, but I uh, have certainly recommended that to a lot of our clients. Alternatively, if they are um, either full-time or part-time, so permanent and receiving, uh, or whether, sorry, whether or not you're receiving JobKeeper for them, uh, that is then a disciplinary matter. If they are not returning to work, you have work for them to do and they're refusing to return, uh, you would um, you know, be well entitled to commence a disciplinary process uh, And because what they're doing is refusing a reasonable management directive and that's the very basis of their contract of employment with you, uh, to follow all reasonable management directives. And I see that as the, the, tricky, the, the tricky sort of line, you know, do we, don't we, should we, shouldn't we, I see that as the trickiest, and again, my recommendation to many of our clients is you probably don't have the skill set or the, the ability to get to the truth as to what you do here, and mm. then reaching out to, I guess, you know, um, the, the HR consultants and or an employer, as an example, which yeah. is uh, formidable in this space. Um, you, you get some real clarity as to what you can and what you can't do. So what would you recommend? I mean, you mentioned earlier... Um, um, uh, business owners can go to employers or even employees can go to the Employee Shore uh, website and there's some bits and pieces that obviously gives them some answers. But what would, you, what would you recommend over and beyond that? I mean, I personally would recommend this is not a place where you want to get it wrong or should you even think of winging it? You've mm. got to get the education. This is a very fluid and transient situation. It is. And lots of people said to me at the beginning of this crisis that surely all bets are off right now and we can pretty much do what we want as businesses and, you know, the community and fair work are going to be uh, understanding because, you know, we're, we're in a major crisis here. The reality is, and I felt it then and, and, and uh, have been sadly proven correct, 
that uh, two things, Fair Work are, are, are not taking a soft fine at all um, through this crisis. Uh, and uh, unfair dismissal claims have actually increased by something like 70%. So employees are increasingly, understandably, probably litigious because they're in self-preservation mode. So if they've lost their job for whatever reason, uh, they're frightened they're not going to get another one. So they're going to try and access money in some way or shape or form that might be open to them. And while they may not be successful, it just creates another level of stress uh, that you don't need right now as a business owner. Um, so definitely I would highly, you know, definitely say don't wing it. Um, reach out to uh, an expert uh, in the area. Um, obviously our clients come to us. We've got a 24-7 advice line, which uh, I think our phone lines have just about burned out over the past five months. Um, because of all of these issues that we've been advising on. And just on that, I mean, just, just when, when you're, um, I mean, your brief on the business is you have 150 advisors and consultants, Gwen. What exactly mm. does 150 advisors and consultants do? Well, if they, the, the advisors. I'm quite sure that is. Yes. <laughs> so we've got um, advisors are a, a work health safety and industrial relations specialist who answer the phone. So we've got a 24-7 advice line. So literally, you know, from um, any time in the day or night, day or uh, weekends, or weekdays, whatever, our clients can call and say, help, I've got a problem, what do I do? Um, and the advisor will then talk through the issue, present uh, the safe, safest uh, options, uh, to follow uh, and then back that up with either appropriate documentation like a letter to invite the client, uh, sorry, the employee to a uh, disciplinary meeting or um, the, you know, the relevant legislation, whatever it might be, uh, so that the, uh, the employer, the client can then, they know that they've got everything they need to be able to then follow through. And then they'll, they'll take one step, they'll do that bit and then they'll call us again, uh, call the advisor again and, and get the next step underway. Um, so as this COVID scenario and situation, because we're in during COVID mm, now, as yes. this is evolving and rolling out and, and the intricacies of, you know, what is, what isn't, your advisors yes. and consultants are constantly at the, at the front end of being in the loop. We are. Yeah. So we have some amazing um, learning and development uh, people in uh, various states, I think, who their purely their job is to uh, glean all of the new uh, information as it comes to hand, uh, whether it's award changes, fair work um, additions, legislative changes, state by state changes, uh, and then provide that out to the network to all of us uh, who who uh, act in those roles to be able to appropriately um, advise. And, and just I know I'm sort of going on a bit of a tangent here, but if I'm not mistaken. Any advice, if you're a client of EmployShore, via the consultants and or um, advisory um, team, if you follow that advice as is given and it goes against you, you have an insurance that covers any, let's call it unfair or, or any penalties that may arise of not, um, I guess, you're executing on the advice and you, let's say, are faced with an unfair dismissal or an unfair situation which may have yes. a penalty of monies, mm -hmm. those monies are underwritten and or backed by an insurance um, policy. Is that right? Yeah, let me clarify that. Um, yes, Stefan. Um, what we have is a mutual. 
It's a fund. And uh, our clients are members of this fund. Now, this fund pays out on settlements such as unfair dismissal claims, general protection claims, um, legal representation, um, etc. Um, and, um, uh, you know, when it comes to health and safety fines, legal representation, uh, depending on which state you're in. Uh, New South Wales, they've currently changed the laws around um, third-party entities being able to cover fines around health and safety. Um, we pay out um, these settlements, or this fund does, in accordance with what's called a product disclosure statement. Um, and that's all regulated by ASIC and a financial services guide. So it's very intertwined, Stephen. Um, you know, the documentation that Gwen talks about, the contracts, you know, your, your policies, your handbooks, the letters, um, and then you need to follow, follow, you know, a certain process that we're talking about because there's certain order of things you need to do things, um, you know, certain letters, certain consultation processes around all these. And if you follow our guidance and help, then yes, you are protected in accordance with our product disclosure statement. Like an insurance, but it's now, a, 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 it's, it's called a mutual. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Clary, because again, I, I, I sort of, um, I, I understand that, not to a point of intimacy, as you've just described it, but I just, I just feel in this, environment that's ever so changing and ever so challenging as I shared at the start of this meeting the ability to have a team of advisors and consultants that are right at the front end right on the edge almost being a shield of minimizing dumb tax I think it's a formidable um, um, I guess reference point for something that's really big I mean just listening to Malcolm just there's like holy shit that's a lot of stuff for trying to wing it as a business owner and try and make your business run in every other area that needs your focus too. So back to you, Gwen. Thank you for, um, again, just just expanding on that question that Nicola... Yeah, no. Not at all. Now, I think there was... I'm not sure that we hadn't finished that question. There was another question that came through the chat I just saw. What's the best way to communicate about returning to work? Um, Just to... Um, round that off. Uh, look, an email is 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 perfectly fine. I would always recommend having a verbal conversation first if you can. So perhaps give them a call or whatever, um, and then follow that up in writing. And really, you you don't need to provide a lot of notice. A day or two, three maybe um, that uh, you know they're, they're required back at work. Uh, and, and what time and and so forth. And of course, you would have done your risk assessment by then and have everything set up safely. Um, if uh, the other thing I just wanted to, to, to cover off, if you don't have enough work right now for, to, to keep everyone gainfully employed, but you don't want to shed these employees because, you know, you have every um, belief uh, and hope that, you know, given a few months down the track, things will get back up uh, closer to where they were pre-COVID, uh, you can do two things. If you're on JobKeeper, you've got the JobKeeper enabling directions at this stage still, we're not we're not clear whether they will go into JobKeeper 2.0. So you can direct your employees to uh, take a reduced hours or take annual leave, for example. If you're not getting JobKeeper for them, uh, then go through a consultation process. Uh, at, you know, can they take a reduction of hours temporarily? Put that in writing. Can they take some annual leave or some long service leave or even unpaid leave and get that in writing? Um, and obviously you're conversing during this time um, 
helping them to understand the reason that you're doing that is to try and protect their job long term. Uh, that what, you, what you're trying to avoid is a redundancy process um, because you have every hope and belief that you will be able to bring them back full time or to their normal role at some time in the future. And uh, that, that, is, that is your intent. Uh, now, oops, my mouse has moved off my button. There we go. Um, I want to talk about just briefly um, with you as I am conscious of, of time uh, and I know you're all very busy people. We've talked about some of these common types of your employees, the types of employees. So we flagged the two problem children. One is the casual and one is the independent contractor. Just really briefly, if you've got part-time employees uh, of any description, so and, and part-time employees generally someone who's permanent but is working under 38 hours a week. Check your award or your agreement, your enterprise agreement, because it should, and certainly your award does, um, enterprise agreement should speak to how you can treat a part-time employee. Most critically, most of the time that award or agreement will say that you must agree on the number of hours that employee works per week and when they work those hours. So what days and what hours they are on, a, on given days. And then if they work in excess of those hours, you are generally um, automatically required to pay them overtime. So if they normally work 20, and for some reason I've worked 22 this week, those additional two hours are normally overtime. Uh, and if you're not aware of that and you're not paying that as such, then you've got risks of underpayment claims coming back to you at some point, uh, and an employer has six years to lodge an underpayment claim. Uh, from when it happened. So that's, you know, quite a long period of time. Now, there are, is a sort of a, a protection in there for you that you can also consult and have the employee agree uh, in writing that they will work, uh, you know, in excess of their normal hours at normal pay, but you need to get that in writing every time it happens uh, in order for that, just called a variation, in order for that to, to, to protect you from the um, um, underpayment claim. So contracts, I think if there was ever a time that contracts are critical, uh, it's right, excuse me, right now. So a couple of things uh, in terms of the contract cycle, they're not a set and forget document. So, uh, you know, someone started working for you three years ago, you gave them a contract and that was the last uh, use, uh, you know, thought about a contract. Um, so a few things, um, a contract is a legally binding document uh, for both parties, the employee and the employer. So anything inside that document is legally binding. Um, and uh, so there are some things that you should include very critically, and we'll talk about those in a moment. Um, and uh, you should review it on a regular basis. And we'll talk about why in a moment as well. Um, and when a contract is terminated, so generally that means someone's resigned or uh, in some circumstances, you've terminated their employment, perhaps for misconduct, or you've made their position redundant. Um, there's some, some steps that are really a good idea to follow uh, uh, to make sure that you've got everything neatly tied off at the end of an employment um, uh, agreement with an employee. So when you're, when you're creating a contract, and obviously we do these in our sleep here at EmployShore, um, you need to include things that are related to legislation. So you need to refer to the fact that they get leave, for example, um, and what rate of pay they're uh, going to receive. Um, there's some standard terms uh, that are really critical to, to put in there. So the, what type of employment? Are they full-time? Are they part-time? Are they casual? Is it fixed term? 
uh, for a very you know a specific time frame but they've got a commitment to carry out the duties that you require of them and to follow policies you talk about their hours of work how their remuneration is calculated so they're getting an hourly rate but then they'll get every penalty and allowance and um, so forth under the award or are you paying them an hourly rate that is inclusive of all of those or an annual salary uh, you'll need to Put in there any verbal agreements that, that you may have already made with them um, regarding additional benefits on things like that and of course there's some common law rules and implied terms that need to go in there as well um, uh, or good idea to go in there for example what your um, reasons that they may be face disciplinary action for example this is why you should regularly uh, review your contracts um, if there is a substantial amendment to an employee's role or the entitlements that they are receiving. So right now, if you have a verbal agreement with your employee to reduce their hours, let's say from 38 to 20, for example, but you haven't documented that in any way, that poses a risk to you as a business owner that at some point you may face an underpayment claim. Because even though you know that you've made that verbal uh, contract, if you haven't got it in writing, um, that contract stands. It's legally binding and that original contract stands. Uh, if there's changes in terms to, uh, you know, things like wages, allowances, overtime and other benefits, um, important to update the contract. Changes in legislation. So there's been a big one um, of recent days. Um, and you may uh, all be aware, it's a good time to flag it. Um, about a year ago, uh, courtesy of the uh, Cadbury factory workers down here in Hobart, um, the, the way that we uh, accrued and paid annual leave was changed. And, and every part-time worker uh, where we used to, they used to get pro rata pay personal leave, they then were entitled to 10 days. That's just been reversed in, in courts. So it went into legislation, now it's reversed out again uh, after a, an appeal. Um, but that, that was a significant change that needed to be updated the first time and now again in, in your contracts. Um, and of course, if you negotiate any, uh, any other variations, such as uh, you know, you're going to give them a $100 a week petrol allowance or something like that, uh, in recognition of the fact that they are uh, driving a car a lot or whatever it might be. Stephanie, did you have a, you look like you have a question before I go off? I know, just um, again, you know, contracts and agreements and, and you know, particularly for our, for many of our clients, because I mean, this, this presentation is going to go up to our resource centre and many of our clients will be looking at this over the next um, few days and over the weekend. Um, it, it is important, like, like everything else, it's, 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 it's almost like a spring clean. Just yeah. be up to date, uh, be okay to have it um, looked at and or reviewed, be curious, be open-minded, get some feedback, um, almost treat it as a health check, you know, just make sure you're up to speed with all the bits and pieces. Absolutely. I mean, you know, a, a little bit of, um, um, I guess, um, uh, award creep, otherwise known in other areas as scope creep, can have you behind the eight ball, unbeknown to you, it was never deliberate, it happened. Absolutely. And now Absolutely. You, um, you're in a situation where it can be a little embarrassing if, you're, if you've got a good relationship with your team members. But in fairness, it's, it's hygiene. Yes. Spring clean. As we speak, for example, I don't know how many may be watching who are in the construction industry, but the building and construction um, general on-site award has gone through massive changes in the last three months. Massive. Yeah. Um, and 
but you can't possibly know what you don't know uh, without getting those, you know, that that re that reviewed information through. And so, uh, you know, in respect to what our consultants do, so advisors answer the phone. Consultants actually go uh, either on site or um, uh, Zoom uh, or similar to our new clients and help review all of those documents that are already in place if you have them, uh, and 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 make sure that what you've got is compliant and and provide. Uh, you know, compliant documentation for you uh, where necessary. So. Yeah, no, no, great. And, that, and that's what I just wanted to add. Um, um, any more questions? Okay. I so for... So. Um, just a little look there. Okay, over to you, Gwen. I know we must be getting almost to the end. Yeah, just... Yeah, we are indeed. So very quickly, if you're engaging your, your employees right now, and particularly if they're not going to be working uh, where you normally have them, uh, you know, if you're going to have them in some remote location like home, um, we need to, I guess, double down on what we always do and just make it, you know, absolutely everything just above board, perfectly executed. So first of all, make sure they feel like you're expecting them and that they are welcome. So make sure you're, the rest of your team uh, or employees are aware of this new person and who they are and what they are expected to do. Uh, and uh, that uh, either their manager or supervisor, if appropriate, or them uh, in, as individuals have what they need to be able to do already in place. I'm sure we've all entered workplaces sometime in our career as new employees and our, you know, our login is wrong or hasn't been made yet or you know we haven't got a fuel card for the car or you know don't have a desk you know, whatever it might be and it, it doesn't it's not a great first day or first week and i think that uh you know we could probably double and triple that right now if you're having to to um uh start your first day by walking back into your bedroom and sitting at a desk uh to to, to work on uh remotely Maybe look at, you know, assigning uh, someone, not a, not a manager or a supervisor, but a, a peer that they can just go to to ask all those little questions that you can't possibly know the answer to in those first few weeks, um, but that you may not want to ask uh, a manager. Uh, you may feel a little bit embarrassed or, or, or they may just, you know, um, feel like, oh, I think I'm meant to know that. But someone that they can go to with that, that also then allows... Um, their manager to just get on with actually managing uh, the role rather than all those little nitty-gritty details. Um, then do the introductions. Uh, just the other day, we had a new team member starting my team. Um, we are Vic Taz uh, consultants, and um, well, I, I'm a business partner, but I belong to the consultants team. And uh, there was a new person, new face that popped up on uh, the Zoom meeting, um, but we, we already knew that they were there. So that was just a formal introduction, which was really good. And they got to meet all of us as well. And now more than ever, even if you're hiring someone who's absolutely already competent um, in, in you know, the job that you're hiring them to do, don't throw them in the deep end. You know, there's potential for the overwhelm to come much faster and harder than when they're in an office space or in a workspace surrounded by people that they can put their hands up if they're, you know, drowning a little bit. Much different uh, as we speak right now. I think a question just dropped in, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, where did it go? Can you change a contract of employment with the updated terms for existing employees? Um, you can. Um, uh, that uh, you can't 
change the underlying uh, things that you've already agreed to uh, with them. So you can't make a, a significant change without their agreement. Um, so if you're just updating the contract uh, and, you know, perhaps adding in, you know, new legislative requirements and things like that, that's not changing their contract. That's just bring it up to speed. Uh, but if, for example, you're removing a significant benefit, like let's say they were had um, uh, access to a, to a motor vehicle and now you're taking that out, that's a significant change. Um, and so that's something that you would have needed to have done in consultation. If that's, you know, if you've just updated it to, you know, uh, accommodate the required changes, uh, ostensibly, if they don't sign it, but you know they've received it, you've explained it to them, uh, and you can demonstrate that, um, you know, through your documentation. Uh, I, when I'm talking to clients, um, and I, one of the things I do sometimes is help them roll out their contracts, their new contracts to employees, I call it Wonder Woman Inc. So if they choose to sign it, but we know that they've got it, and they come back to work next week uh, and next fortnight and you continue to pay them, they've agreed to the terms of that contract. Um, and so a sense of, a sen I can't speak apparently, essentially they've signed that in Wonder Woman Inc is what I say to them. Uh, so yes, you can. Look, we're all over the social medias. Um, Ed Mallard, our, our director, has, managing director has become a bit of a social media darling uh, and a breakfast TV darling for those of you who watch um, uh, I don't go to get wrong, Sunrise, <laughs> and uh, some of the news editions as well. Uh, 12 o'clock tomorrow, he'll be live on Facebook. I'd, I'd encourage you to jump on. Um, otherwise, I am going to um, turn it over to um, Malcolm. Right. Um, thanks, Gwen. Uh, what I'd like to do is finish off. Um, I've got two slides to go through. One is just very briefly to um, help people understand how EmployShore support businesses through this current environment at the moment. And then secondly, um, you know, a, a bit of a freebie. So just in terms of what we do, in terms, we're supporting about 23,000 businesses across Australia at the moment, the owners and directors, and we're helping them navigate through all this complexity of managing people, staff, health and safety. What we do is that we provide a, a consultancy compliancy review with people like Gwen, who look at your current situation, the way you engage people, the documentation you have in place, and we review, we recommend, we redraft if needed. All right, we can draft documentation from scratch if you don't have it, or you really need it. Okay. Um, secondly, what we do is we keep you up to date then with changes of legislation. So you don't need to worry that legislation's changing and your documentation's getting out of date, okay? We then provide unlimited advice. Um, so wouldn't it be great when you have all these questions about poor performing employees, people not turning up to work, um, allowances, interpretation of the award, that you can have someone like Gwen on the phone helping you out because that's what our advisors do. It's unlimited guidance and help around employment relations, health and safety, COVID safe plans, written letters for you. Um, and you don't pay for it like a law firm uh, or an HR consultant on an hourly basis. It's unlimited guidance and help. What um, Stefan spoke about then is also, if you're a client, you get a claim against you, 
um, uh, work safe, you know, take you to court, fine, prosecute. Um, you know, you are covered by Employee Shall Protect, which basically, and, and our legal firm, um, or Spark Hillmore, which is another large law firm. They basically represent our clients and we say we've got your back. And their legal fees are covered by this large not-for-profit mutual, which I mentioned we pay out in accordance with the product disclosure statement. Um, so it gives businesses not only peace of mind around the documentation, around getting live advice, um, around the changing legislation at the moment, but if there's a claim against the business, um, they have a level of protection there as well. Um, if I could get you to go to the next slide, uh, Gwen. Please. <laughs> what, um, what we've done in conjunction with um, Stefan and Business Benchmark Group is we've actually um, offered um, some help at the moment to businesses. Um, hopefully you've taken from this, from Gwen tonight, the importance of your documentation, your letters, your health and safety system, particularly in this environment. So um, over the next couple of weeks, if you want either one, what's called a contract check, um, I think that may be loaded up next, Rob, uh, on the screen, we can um, give you basically uh, a review of one of your contracts and we'll give you some professional advice um, about are there any non-compliance issues there with the Fair Work Act. Um, also, um, basically um, help you recommend or recommend to you commercial terms within the contract um, that you should have to help you and your business, right, to protect yourself. So there we go, we've got it up on the screen now, a contract check, That's, that will be um, provided um, for you free for those people that are currently on, on this call. Um, or alternatively, we can do a safe check. A lot of businesses at the moment, you know, aren't updating or they've got behind around their health and safety systems. Um, we can review the current practices, policies, systems that you've got in place, give you some ideas about where you're falling short, areas of non-compliance, and actually report on that health and safety status for you. So normally, we uh, charge $500 for these two um, um, pieces of work, right? So you, um, um, the way to activate this, if, sorry, if we, if we go back one step now um, to the previous slide. So what we'll do, uh, Malcolm, we'll also send this out to everyone um, yeah. in our client base. We're gonna send that offer out if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah. We'll make sure yeah. if you're okay with this, we're gonna put your details on that. I would prefer people come through you yep. as it relates to uh, making um, a commitment. And, I'm, and I know, I can confidently assume that you will ensure that they end up with the, uh, the right advisor. And, uh, and, and I'd be much appreciative if you can navigate that for us, for our client base. So we're going yep. to send to everyone that um, offer and thank you for making that um, applicable for all our clients. We're also going to put your details on it because I would prefer they come through you. That's fine. Yep. And they yep. quote a code on that as well. So and you're quoted code. Write so this you, down. Yeah. You, you don't tomorrow say Stefan who? <laughs> <laughs> all Which right. I know you would, mate, and I appreciate everything you've done yep. here tonight again and, um, and everything you do for many of our clients on the journey. So, you know, it, it's fair to say what you and employ sure do is a, 
an undeniable important part of business. It ensures that no one is blindsided and or bamboozled. And, and you know, the muscle that employs Shaw flexes, which is, again, 150 consultants and advisors deep, 25,000 clients or so across Australia and New Zealand and in other parts of the world, it's a formidable um, beast. And, you know, the, the investment to keep your, your, your head sleeping okay at night as it relates to um, HR and, and being, you know, at the front end of not having this being a, an area of assumption, an area of um, um, surprise is, um, is critical. And I think it's a success trait for most businesses that are mature enough to understand it's a, it's a shekel against the dollars and it keeps you sleeping at night. So I appreciate you um, making this offer applicable for our um, community at Business Benchmark Group. Gwen, I thank you again for taking time out of your family time to, to share here tonight as well. I know we've gone a little bit over and we've um, certainly um, in, um, embraced the questions that have come through and, and there'll be most, most likely a few more coming through over the next um, three, four, five days. And um, in fairness, everyone's a little webinar out. So we put this up on our resource centre and there'll be plenty of our clients that will go to it and, and, and even people that are not clients yet. Mm. And we're going to ensure that everyone gets an opportunity to reach out and, and get, their, um, get, get their clarity as to whether they are or they're not in a position of being in control as it relates to their HR approach. Also, if you've got any questions you want to shoot through to me, happy to send back a response um, anytime. Yeah, thank you. Um, we're starting to grow our presence in in, um, in Tasmania as well right now and in other parts of Australia. So uh, I look forward to having a conversation with you offline regarding that. And and Malcolm, thank you once again for everything you do. You're always available and, and you are 100% uh, customer-centric. And that's why... Having um, anyone that reaches out to you via Business Benchmark directly to you has me having peace of mind that they're in good hands. Thank you, uh, Stefan, for those words and uh, also, um, you know, for allowing us to speak to your network tonight. And uh, we really hope that we've, I don't know, at least given you sort of, sort of some ideas, food for thought about how to manage coming now over the next and coming months. That's um, oh, been super. Even for that, yeah. For more information about Business Benchmark Group's coaching, education, and training programs, visit businessbenchmarkgroup.com.au or call 03-9001-0878. If you liked this podcast, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and leave feedback as well. Stefan shares so much value in all his podcasts and we encourage you to go through the archives and listen to other episodes of the Business Benchmark Group podcast. Thank you for listening.